Okay, welcome to another edition of the Edlow Podcast. I am Josh Edlow. You are supposed to subscribe. That's what all the podcasters tell me. So subscribe. I have a very special guest today. I am here with the Larry King of Drag Queens, Amber LeMay. How are you, Amber? I'm doing great uh, here in Burlington, Vermont, in my basement in the Old North End. I'm doing great. <laughs> awesome, awesome. This is a, this is gonna be a fun one for me. I just told you off air. You know, I I took my we we go to the theater. My daughter Lexi is a big theater buff. She's done a couple of of um, plays now, and so I try to we get season tickets around here to the theater. And we went and we saw Kinky Boots, having no idea what we were getting into. <laughs> And then we show up. Wait, 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 Josh. The title was Kinky Boots. <laughs> I, looking back, <laughs> I, I should have been a little more aware. I'm showing myself as a as a father here. I'm like, oh, this might have been a mistake. No, but we went, but we went in and she just loved it. The costumes, it was so funny. Um, and uh, and so that kind of prompted me wanting to come have you on. And so I'm uh, I'm really glad. Tell me now, the Larry King of drag queens. Tell us why you refer to yourself as that. Well, um, COVID started. I don't know if you remember this. Uh, back in March of 2020, something happened in the country. I've heard <laughs> I've heard vaguely of something <laughs> yes. happening. Yeah. Well, Burlington, Vermont, closed down on March 16th of 2020. On March 22nd, I was bored already. And so I called my friend up, Russell, in, in Queens, New York. And I said, Russell, I see people are doing this live Facebook thing. What, what can we do about that? And he says, well, you just get on Facebook. Do it. And he told me how to do it. So I did that. I, I called it Ask a Drag Queen. And I was on there for an hour in my living room with the laptop on my lap. And it was bouncing around and poor lighting and everything. But people were listening and talking and asking me questions. And we did, I did that for like two or three weeks. And Russell said, you know what? I think we have something there. Let, let's start bringing in some guests. And so then I started talking to uh, bringing in, um, well, via Zoom, uh, bringing in local um, proprietors of businesses, finding out how are they surviving the, the lockdown and mm. politicians, local politicians and entertainers and just you know, having a conversation of what's going on, how are you surviving? And Russell's been living in New York City for 27 years, so he had a few connections in the entertainment business there, so he started reaching out to them. <clears throat> And then it just kept going and going and going. And now since then, we've done 148, 49 episodes. Now, if you count up the number of Sunday nights between March 22nd, 2020, and right now, there's not a whole lot more than 148. <laughs> and so we've been on every, almost every week with live interviews. I've interviewed over 220, 250 people from all walks of life, from all over the world. And so that's where I get the Larry King of talk yeah. shows. Well, that's awesome. I really, that, that's that got to be a lot of fun. Who do you think was your favorite interview so far? Oh, you know, there are so many. Francois Clemens, you may remember him from uh, Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. He sure. was the, the mailman there. He lives here in Burling, or in, in Middlebury, Vermont. He's been on several times. What a genuine, nice, nice human being. Um, and he would sing for us. And it was just those those memories are just great to have. Um, but also politicians like John Fetterman, the, the current senator from Pennsylvania. This was when he was just lieutenant governor, but we knew he was going to run for Senate. Sure. He and his wife were on there. And on the same show was Hal Sparks. And uh, Hal Sparks from uh, uh, Talk Soup and Queer as Folk and many other things. And they had a, a Pittsburgh connection. And so they talked mm -hmm. on and on. Uh, so that was great, just letting them talk. And, you know, I've talked to... Um, authors and doctors and entertainers, politicians, the whole yeah. gamut. And, you know, wow. and just outside of my realm, but a lot of, a lot of it's gay focus as well. Mm, okay. And, and is the purpose of that, uh, the, the gay focus or the LGBTQ focus is, uh, is that to just bring more awareness? What, what is the, the purpose of that? It's what I know. <laughs> there you go. There you my, go. Ph my philosophy is use what you got. You know? yeah. and, and I have a pretty good uh, lengthy foothold in that community. So I, sure. I, I tend to fall back on that a lot. But also I, I have a wide variety of interests. So I, I can talk to almost anyone. Oh, that's awesome. So tell me, 
because there's a lot of my listeners who I bet if they're listening to this or watching this on YouTube, this is their first time, maybe their first time ever actually hearing of an interview with a drag queen. So let's start with what, what is a drag queen? Well, a drag queen is a performer, um, is an entertainer. To me, it's a, a performer, an entertainer, um, someone who, who likes to perform and, um, Make, I like to make people laugh. And so that's my, my, my thing, but mainly a performer. And how we started out doing drag was a little over 30 years ago, my friend Mike Hayes and I liked to perform. We were in a cabaret group called the Vermont Cares Cabaret Players, raising money for the local AIDS service organization. And we loved it. And, uh, but we wanted to perform more. So we were thinking about what to do. And we drag wasn't really a thing in Burlington, Vermont at the time. Sure, at Halloween, there was a bunch of messes and dresses, but we didn't count them. <laughs> sure. But there, there was two drag queens that were starting to perform more, and that was a Cherry Tart and Reverend Yolanda. <clears throat> mm. And we went to their shows, and we liked it, and the crowd liked it. And Mike looked at me, and he said, we can do that. Yeah. <laughs> so Mike says, I've got a degree in costume design. And I said, well, I've got a pretty good handle on writing jokes and material. Let's sure. do it. And so we created Amber and Marguerite, the sisters LeMay. And we would do shows, hour and a half, two hour shows of our own material, singing, well, not our own songs, but uh, um, uh, favorite songs of ours with our accompanist, Craig Hilliard. And people liked us. And they said, hey, can, can we be in your show? And so more and more people want to be in our show. So then we turn it into the house of LeMay. Um, mm. And to create, it wasn't just the sisters anymore. It was our entire house. And I came from, the, the, the term house comes from the ballroom scene in New York City. Now, the ballroom scene was happening back in the 70s and 80s. And where people who were disenfranchised from their families a lot of times would go out and perform late at night, like three, four o'clock in the morning, because that's when the venues were available. Mm -hmm. And they would do these competitions, these dancing competitions. This is where Madonna got her idea for Vogue, by the mm -hmm. way. And there was a fascinating documentary called Paris is Burning that tells the story of the ballroom scene. And these mm -hmm. people who were disenfranchised from their families created houses. You know, they created support for each other and they called themselves a house. And that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to create a place where friends could get together and be accepted and have fun. Oh, wow. That's awesome. So what is it about uh, drag that's so appealing to you? Um, oh, well, it's um, it's a form of expression. I I can say and do things as Amber LeMay that my alter ego, Bob, better not say and do. <laughs> <laughs> sure, sure. Right. So, so I, that, that's one aspect of it. But it just, it, it allows me to entertain in a, a different way, uh, a more broader way, no pun intended. Uh, but, uh, and it just, people wouldn't be interested in, in me without the wig and the hair and the glasses and, and all that. Um, mm -hmm. So it's, it's more to bring attention to my message and what I want to say. So that's, a, that's a question I had uh, because this is a question I think that a lot of people and, and here on my podcast, I want to ask the questions that other people might be afraid to ask. There might be someone out there who thinks that being a drag queen is somehow sexual in nature. It doesn't sound like that. No, 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 no. Um, I, I enjoy being a man. You know, mm -hmm. I love, I, I'm very happy being a man. I don't know where that comes from. I think it's just fear from something different fear of, you know, their, their kids are in, entranced by a drag queen. Um, and so they're a little leery about that. Well, where could that lead them? So uh, they're, they're trying to make something bad about that drag queen to, to turn their kids away from it. One time I was out um, in the street and uh, I, I heard a little boy say, mommy, <laughs> what, what's, what's, who is that? And she says, well, that's a drag queen, honey. What's a drag queen? She said, well, you like to dress up and have fun, don't you? And he goes, yeah. He goes, they like to dress up and have fun too. And that's what they're doing. And the kid was satisfied. That's all it was. Mm -hmm. right. And there was no harm there. And it just, one of the things I've been doing, stressing on my shows recently is the, the anti-gay drag trans um, movement that's going on in the country, um, in the politics uh, of our nation. And 
point out that show me where a drag queen has groomed and molested a child. I'm not saying there has never been one because sure. you can't say that. Sure. But you Google Texas church sex crimes. See what the answer is. See how many hits you get on that. And then Google uh, Texas drag queen sex crimes. And all you'll get are accusations from the, the, the right uh, against drag queens. No proof, no names, just accusations. And so that's one one of the platforms I'm very strong against or for. Yeah. And I've been bringing out um, every, I have a new segment of my show, show called Altercations, where I list um, at least three church members, a uh, youth pastor, uh, uh, a teacher in a Catholic school, someone connected with the church who is, has been arrested and convicted of child molestation. You know, mm. why aren't these people who are out there in front of um, drag shows with guns, um, why aren't they in front of churches? That's where the kids are getting hurt. Uh, not all churches. I, you know, I'm not saying that, uh, but that's where their focus should be. Not on drag queens who are just entertainment. You know, it's interesting because I think uh, the entirety of the LGBTQ movement is just me as a, I guess you'd call me a cis white guy, right? I'm just sitting here and I, and, and I, I hear these things. And the, the, the thing that people get most concerned about is when the LGBT community stuff starts to get down to the kids. So it's things like, oh, you mean kids can go and change, you know, change their gender or they, oh, you mean there's a drag queen going to a school and reading to the kids, you know, oh, why are they? So tell me why it is. Um, I know a big thing right now, and I'm not super familiar with the bill, but I know there's a bill out there right now to prohibit drag queens from going into schools. I think it's in Tennessee. I don't know. Oh, exactly. it's, 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 it's Oklahoma. It's Arkansas. Right. It's Texas. It's a lot of red states that are doing this. Right. Why, why? Why is that? Um, I, you know, if they want to say you can't go to the school, fine. But a library or another public place, I, I don't see where they can. Yeah. Don't take your kids. Your kids have to go to school. So I could possibly say no. Mm -hmm. Um that we decide not to have drag queens in our schools. Fine. You, because kids have to go to school. Kids don't have to go to a library. Right. You know, I'm not going to tell you, you have to take your kid to that drag queen story hour at the library. Sure. Now, that, uh, but don't so, tell me I can't take my kid. You know? So Yeah. So that's a, a, you, maybe you can inform me on this then. Is that, are, are there um, bills out there to prohibit drag queens from even going into libraries? It seemed like it was schools specifically, but it sounds like public it's public places in Tennessee. Um, a, a bill was passed. A judge has reset or um, has put it on hold for now. But a drag queen in public, in like public, even just walking I, around, even just walking around. I had I have talked to um, a drag queen, a prominent drag queen from Memphis, Tennessee, a couple of weeks ago, and she was telling me that. She has to park her car in a parking garage next door to her, where she works. And she said, if I could get arrested going from my car to my, my place of business, if mm -hmm. if someone wanted to enforce that law the way it was written, mm -hmm. there's windows in their bar. Someone walking by, looking in and seeing a drag queen could, could object and have them arrested or fined or uh -huh. their liquor license taken away. It's that ridiculous. Mm -hmm. And Why? Why? With everything else going on in the world, don't you have something else better to do? Mm, yeah, it's a good it's a good question. Tell me, here's another thing. Like I said, I'm hoping this interview brings a little bit more under understanding. Perhaps you can tell me where drag queens fit into the LGBT community is. It's not transgender. It's not gay. Kind of give me the differences. <sighs> Oh, <laughs> that's a good question because there are some people um, who do not want, like what drag queens at all involved in the alphabet soup that you mentioned. Mm -hmm. um, they say that we're um, demeaning to women, which I I don't see that. Um, these are these are members of the LGBTQ community. Yeah, yeah. I mean, in, in any organization, you're going to get people who. Uh, on on any on each extreme, so that, that that's the way that is. But mm. you know, I to quote the song, "I am what I am." You sure. know, that's uh, and I one of the good things about um, people said, "Well, have you had problems here in Vermont?" 
And we re- we've had a few issues, but nothing like the, uh, the bigger cities or other places. Mm-hmm. And I really think it's because 30 years ago when Marguerite and I started being the drag queens, we just didn't, we not only performed for the gay community, but for the general community as well. We made ourselves available to go to fundraisers of different organizations. We were asked to perform at the uh, Edmonds Middle School um, fundraiser for their middle school drama department, which we called the Future Drag Queens of America, <laughs> which got a big yeah. laugh. <laughs> and and you know, every year at the Vermont City Marathon, we were at the corner of Church and Cherry Street directing traffic in drag. and. Throughout the year, people come up to us and say, you don't know what that means to us. When we see you approaching you, it it brings a smile to our face. It gives us energy. And I I get asked to host and um, appear at all kinds of fundraisers. And I believe that's why there isn't. There, there, that's why there is more acceptance of drag in Vermont is because they've seen us out in public. And that's Mm -hmm. one of the things I want to stress to the drag queens is get off the stage and get into the streets. Mm. You've got to be aware. You've got to make yourself aware and make people aware of you. When Harvey Milk was um, a city um, commissioner in San Francisco, he said, we will never get gay rights until people know who we are. You've got to go out and tell, tell your neighbor who, that you're gay. Uh, have, have your Tell your banker that you're gay. Have the, the gay banker tell his customers that he's gay. Once people know gay people, they're going to go, oh, well, Oh, <laughs> yeah. I liked you before I knew. I, I still like you. And there's that fear is taken away. That stigma is taken away. And I think that has to be a lot with drag queens, too. You know, it's interesting that you bring that up because as you as you bring that up, I, I told you beforehand, I'm, I'm a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, commonly known as Mormons. And uh, I, I just think I was like, you know, it's funny that you bring that up because I still run into people who think that you know, Mormons have more than one wife, that they're all polygamists. You know what I mean? Uh, okay. and, and Or or that uh, we're not really Christians. And then they get to know us, and then they realize we are. And that, no, that's not true, you know? And um, maybe it's the same way for drag queens. Until you get to know them and see who they are, you know, you, you hear a bunch of, you hear all this stuff on the internet and all this propaganda, and then you think there's something different. Like, uh you know, my first experience of, of anything that would have been even considered a drag queen would have probably been movies like Mrs. Doubtfire and Tu Wong mm-hmm. Fu, mm-hmm. you know? And so what did you think of that movie, Tu Wong Fu? Well, it came out right around the same time as Priscilla, Queen of the Desert, which is one of my favorite movies. And I don't think it it didn't have the heart that Priscilla did. And I, that wasn't, I, I realized that wasn't its purpose, but it, I, I was disappointed in it because I liked Priscilla so much better, I think. Right. Yeah. Oh. And uh, yeah, so I, it, it's a fine movie, but I just like Priscilla's much, much better. Ah, uh, yeah. It's just interesting because it's fun to go back and see movies like that or some of these other movies where, um, like I, I remember, distinctly remember, um, before I went, I served a two-year mission for my church. And I distinctly remember before I went, there was a movie, Big Daddy. It was an Adam Sandler movie. And there's a scene where two men kiss. And oh. I remember, and this is like the late 90s, I think, maybe, yeah, late 90s. And uh, the whole theater freaked out because two guys were kissing, right? And uh, and then you fast forward to probably like 2005. I don't remember what movie it was, but two guys kiss. You don't hear you hear pin drop. You see what I'm saying? It was just like, yeah. wow, that's a big difference. And and so it's interesting to see a movie like Tu Wong Fu at a time when it was made, when there was something that was not accepted that they were trying to kind of bring tolerance to, um, and, and be funny at the same time. You know. Well, a lot of those people look back at those and they go, well, yeah, but that was Robin Williams, you know, mm-hmm. and so they don't object so much to a guy in a dress. They object to a gay in a dress. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's that's where I'm thinking a lot of it comes from. You know, the, the governor of Tennessee was um, they, when he was the, doing all this anti-gay, anti-drag uh, bills, uh, they mm-hmm. came up with a picture of him in high school at a powder puff football game as a cheerleader. Oh, we were just having fun. Well, hey, Bill, I'm just having fun, too. Let, sure. let me alone. Leave me alone. 
Right. And so so that's okay. It's a guy in a dress, not a gay in a dress. Sure. Now, is that so? Would a drag queen is it? Is it a requirement that they be gay, or are there drag queens that are heterosexual? Well, um, yeah. Um, the the majority of men who dress as women um, are straight men. They do it because they like the feel of the clothes. They like to express their femininity, but they're straight. Mm-hmm. Um, it's the drag queen is more of an entertainer or a personality. Um, I I personally don't care for some of the clothes. <laughs> I find them <laughs> very uncomfortable. <laughs> but uh, so yeah, so yeah, and there are some straight um, drag drag queen performers. There are yes. Oh, okay. So um, now. What would you say, like, were your influences when you came up with Amber LeMay? I mean, who, who, who did you pattern yourself after? Well, um, I am originally from Lima, Ohio, and Phyllis Diller is from Lima, Ohio. So she was one of my influences, just being outrageous and you know having a big laugh and uh, outrageous is the word. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, you know, Carol Burnett, Lucille Ball, uh, those type of comedians. That's what I I was going after. Mm, okay, and uh, uh, your 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 House of Lemay do they occasionally come on your show as well? Do some of your oh yes shows? yes um, um, we have we have one segment called Bitchin' in the Kitchen with Lucy Bell. Uh, Lucy Bell Lemay is our cousin, our foreign exchange. She was a foreign exchange student from Mississippi. Um, she moved to Vermont, and so she does a segment called Bitchin' in the Kitchen, and then uh-huh. we have. We created a backstory about the House of LeMay that we are from the hot damn trailer park in Beaver Pond, Vermont. Oh, we nice. create we we just created the whole thing. And so um, we have all kinds of characters from Beaver Pond. And we now call ourselves the Beaver Pond Players. And we've, we've done a song. They come on the show and sing. Um, and so there's a lot of different characters that uh, mm. that are involved in Beaver Pond. Oh, nice. Now... So do you ever go out and do a, a drag show at a school or a library? Have you ever done it? Um, like I said, we did that fundraiser for a school, but I've never um, gone to a school in drag um, during oh, okay. the day or anything like that. Okay. I, I I'm, just curi- I'm just curious, like, I guess the, the reason is, is what is the purpose of a drag queen going specifically to a school or a library is it just to bring awareness or is there something else to go with that? Like, for example, Mrs. Doubtfire, at the end of Mrs. Doubtfire, Mrs. Doubtfire is not doing a children's show, right? And it's really, and it's fun and there's, it's teaching and learning. And uh, so, so tell me why, if you know, why drag queens tend to want to go to schools or libraries and do these things. Well, I think it's um, a lot to get kids interested in reading. You know, if it's yeah. a drag queen story hour um, that, you know, they're going to be fascinated by the performer, but then they also might get hooked into reading as well. Sure. So I, I think that's the, a lot has a lot to do with it. And it is a lot of parents who bring their kids to drag queen story hour, want their kids exposed to different people. Sure. Yeah. You know? And you know, they're going to say, and cause they're going to say, you know what, in 10, 15, 12 years, my daughter, my son might come out as gay, bi, trans, um, and I want them to know that there's people out there who support them, you know, sure. and they're, if they don't, they're, some of their friends are, and I want them to be able to support their friends. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You know, it's, it's interesting being out here. It's, I, I'm curious about what the, uh, like what it's like being a drag queen or a member of the LGBTQ community in a place like Vermont. It sounds like it's okay. Uh, because I'm out here in California and I'm guessing that it's just a completely different experience out here than a lot of different places. It uh, depends. You know, California could be as rural and redneck as any, oh, yeah. you know, every state has their, has <laughs> their got, pockets. Uh, got, a couple, if, a couple weeks go ago. To, go to, go to Gridley, California. That's where most of my family uh, is. <laughs> uh, no, thank you. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, Lucy Bell and I were asked to come up and host a fundraiser um, in um Franklin, not Franklin, oh shoot, Fairfax, Vermont, and is a small town of under 5,000 people. It's mm-hmm. about 45 minutes outside of Burlington, in, in the middle of nowhere. Mm-hmm. And we know a few people who live there, but we didn't know what to expect. It was a fundraiser for a child who needed uh, money for a service dog. Mm-hmm. And so it was sort of like a talent show. 
and we were the hosts. We did the raffles and everything. And we were a little leery about doing it. And we pulled into the parking lot all dressed up and we see this big pickup truck. And all we see is this big flagpole sticking out the back. And I go, oh, shoot, are we in trouble? And then the wind picked up and it was a Bacardi rum flag. <laughs> and I said, oh, I, I think we're going to be OK. Yeah. And, and so they couldn't have been more nice. There was probably 150 people there. Couldn't have been more gracious and nice to us. And towards the end of the show, I said, you know, I've done a, a live stream talk show for the past uh, two and a half years. I've talked to many drag queens from all over the country. And if they were performing a show like this in a small town in their state, there would have been proud boys out in the parking lot threatening you as you walked in. And you could just hear these gasps in the audience. And when I just said, thank you so much for allowing us to be here. And the state motto of Vermont is freedom and unity. And you've expressed that tonight. Thank you. Yeah. And we got a standing ovation. And as we were leaving that night, people come up and can I hug you? Farmer men, big farmers come up. Can, can I hug you? <laughs> I said, yes, you may. Yeah. And, but it was just that acceptance there because they saw we were, we were just having fun, you know, and sure. we let them have fun. And uh, once they got over it, you know, they said, oh, yeah, this is funny. So, yeah, well, that's awesome. So um, what are you who are your influences for the way you interview people? Well, Larry King is a lot of it because um, uh, I read where Larry King never read a book that of a guest that was coming on mm. and did very little backstory on the person. Because it, he wanted to be spontaneous. And I find that the best way too, because a few times I'll, I have a big guest coming on. So I'll go back and I'll read. And then all those facts are in my head. So I jump ahead of where it, it, there's not a natural flow to the conversation because it's something, you know, I think, oh, I have to include this. Whereas if I ask the right question, I get more out of it and I have to listen. You know, I'm not saying, oh, my next question is going to be this. Um, because I, I, I wrote it down, it's I listen, and that generates my next question. Mm, that's that's good. I've noticed that too, you know. It's funny because I used to, there were a couple of times I had to, you know, I remember the first the first kind of celebrity guest I had on was Sean Kanan. He plays Mike Barnes in Karate Kid 3, and then he's been in the Cobra Kai series. So, and that's like one of my favorite all-time, I mean, I'm an 80s kid, so... Rocky and Karate Kid were pretty much like the staples of my childhood. And so I was so excited to talk to him and it went really well. But I noticed that when I took my eyes away from my outline and just kind of sat there with him and talked, it became a much more vulnerable, friendly, like a friend like talking to a friend, you know what I mean? Instead of doing an interview. And uh, and so, yeah, I think that I've noticed that the less uh, quote unquote prepared I am in these. I mean, I've only done now you're my 39th video or interview, you know, and so and I feel like I get better with every one. Yeah. But um, but that's yeah. So, I mean, I, I think I agree with you on that. Um, and it allows them to they know you're listening. Yeah. It, I mean, there's sometimes where someone will start, you know, answer a question and they'll say something. Oh, wait, wait, wait. What? Can you repeat that? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because uh, yeah. if I didn't understand it or if I'd been quite here and I know my audience didn't. So, sure. and I go, oh, and that just, that can lead on to a, a whole different conversation. It can. It can. You know, we, we've talked a little bit about concern, like you mentioned, it going to, to the, uh, the show and saying, you know, if this happened in another area, the Proud Boys would be off outside. Uh, can you give an experience just from, I mean, we hear, we go into the media and then we hear like, oh, so-and-so was, was discriminated against. But very rarely do you hear somebody who has been discriminated against and what that felt like. Have you had an experience like that where you've gone somewhere as Amber LeMay felt that discrimination? Oh, there's been times where I might be a little hesitant because I'm going into a new situation that I'm not sure of, and I might be a little paranoid, but that doesn't last. And, mm. you know, I'm 67 years old, so wow. I, I've had a lot of um, stuff thrown at me throughout the years. Not, I mean, not yeah. physically, but, you know, and so I, it just slides off, you know, I, mm -hmm. I go... So, <laughs> so, so are you, it sounds like, correct me if I'm wrong, but it sounds like when you're not 
when you're not Amber LeMay, Bob is a gay man. Is that yes? Okay. So, and it's 67 years old. You have definitely seen, I mean, this has been an issue. I mean, I wasn't around during the civil rights era in the 60s, but it does feel like this has been a very quick, from Prop 8 in 2008 to now, a very quick shift in the social structure of acceptance of LGBTQ issues. But you, I mean, um, you've, you've been around a lot longer than that. Tell me, yeah. tell me what it, it just kind of give me a broad sense of how different it is now than when you first came out as gay. Well, I remember I was 12 years old, um, lying on my floor in the, in rural Northwest Ohio, watching television. We always watched the Huntley Brinkley report mm. and they told about this, riot going on in New York City with the homosexuals. And I just, I was fascinated, you know, why are they rioting? You know, cause I, I, I was very sheltered. And so I didn't know what a homosexual was. And then um, the following week, we got Newsweek. I always flipped through that and there was a story on it. And that explained a little more about what homosexuals were. Mm -hmm. I go, oh, I said, well, what's wrong with that? Yeah. You know, it's the same thing with the, the the Vietnam War protests were going on at the same time. I go, why? You know, why are, are they they're pro not, not that why they were protesting, but why are people against them protesting? Why sure. why why stifle their voice? Sure. And I I couldn't understand that. And then as I got to know more about myself and a little bit more of, of the world, um then AIDS came along. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. you know, that, that kind of slowed things down. And uh, for me anyway, uh, but um, so it has been a struggle because I started losing friends and mm. it became a real stigma by, you know, the, the gay jokes came, came really were coming out now, you know, mm. the, and the hate towards gay because, Oh, don't, don't touch them or you're going to get sick. And mm. so that was frightening. So it really brought, I didn't come out for a long time because of that, because mm. it was really a stigma. If you were gay, you're going to die. Mm. Yeah, you're yeah. going to die. That's, mm. uh, uh, but so that was tough. And it is, it is really remarkable that marriage equality happened so quickly. Um, yeah. I know there were people who've been struggling for or fighting for it for years, but it's really remarkable that it was accepted. And it was because people kept were coming out, you know, and saying, hey, I've been with, you know, or they knew that, you know, oh, Uncle Joe's going to bring his roommate Frank to Thanksgiving for the 12th time. Do you right. think there might be something might be going on there? Right, right, <laughs> right. You know, why, don't they, or why don't they get married or why can't they get married? Yeah. You know, why do they have, why can't they have the benefits that the, uh, the other sibling has? And I just think it started, uh, that just started uh, getting into people's heads. And they said, yeah, it's, it's a civil rights issue. Yeah. And now it's, you know, it, it, a lot of it has to do with the fear of the older white Americans who see that they're going to be in the minority in a few years. Mm. And they're afraid that when they're the minority, they're going to be treated as bad as they've been treating other minorities. Mm. And so they're, they're, they're frightened. They're scared. Um, and so they're looking for targets. They're looking to place the blame on people. And right now it's, um, the gays, trans and drag. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting because I, I noticed this, a, uh, a lot and, and I wonder how much, how much, uh, politicians and media have to do with it where there's always kind of, a Oh, your life is bad. It's their fault. Point, point those, you know, point to those people, you know, the, the most recent example I could think of is Donald Trump when he ran for, for president in 2016 and he started talking about Mexicans coming over the border and building the wall and those things and really resonated with a lot of people. And it's really interesting to see that over the course of time, there's been less and less of that with the LGBTQ community. But I never heard until today. I mean, I was today years old when I heard that drag queens uh, are kind of that there are some within that community that don't want drag queens to be a part of the community. 
Uh, I'm just that that's so interesting to me. Um, there was a, a there was a, a big city um, in Europe. I'm thinking it was Scotland or maybe Ireland. That one year they decided to ban drag queens from their pride parade, mm -hmm. and and they it, it didn't happen. Excuse me, I'm having a little trouble with my earphone here. That's but okay. uh, but they had to change their mind on that. Hold on a second. Ah. Yeah, sure. <laughs> Technical difficulties here. Hey, put them in front. Yeah, there, you there go. we go. Yeah, yeah. So you know, there there is that. You know, and uh, there's uh, uh, people who are against trans uh, community. You know, definitely there's a uh, uh, they're called turfs. And don't ask me what turf stands for because I don't care. Yeah, I never um, heard that. Um, but they're 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 mainly lesbians who are against trans people because they feel they're taking the focus away from real women. Um, yeah, it's uh, you know, thirty years ago this week. I was at the March on Washington, um, and it was quite the experience. Uh, 800,000 people were there. And the march was on Sunday, and there were so many people there that they stationed us all around the Washington Monument in our groups. We were assigned a little number and where, where, where we stayed until we were called to join the parade. And we were there for several hours. So I just started walking around and just looking at the scenery, looking at the groups and stuff. And there was one group of the trans people. And like I said, this was 30 years ago. And I had seen one or two trans people who I knew they were trans or I thought they were trans, but I'd never seen 30, 40, 50 trans people together. And the diversity of their appearances, mm -hmm. of their genetic makeup mm -hmm. um, was just fascinating. Yeah. And I thought they did not choose that. You know, they mm -hmm. they did not choose that. How can anyone hate them? How can anyone be against their rights? Because they did not choose to to appear that way or mm -hmm. to have that struggle. And so I've been uh, I've tried to be a trans ally um, since then. That really opened my eyes. Yeah, you know, I think um, part of the reason why I do this podcast is I want everyone. Like I said off off air, I have I have a very diverse group of friends. I mean, I'm a, I'm a lawyer. I'm Mormon. I used to pro. I, well, I still wrestle professionally. Uh, I you know so that's my. Oh wait 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 wait. What, what what's your wrestling name? Uh, right now, <laughs> right now I'm still figuring it out, but I think I'm gonna go with Brigham. Um, just call him <laughs> Brigham. Uh, I was back in my when I was 18. It's embarrassing, but I was called extreme, and I was this big guy, shaved head, and I threw people <laughs> around. And uh, and I, now I'm really doing it because my kids never got a chance to see me wrestle. Uh, I, I ended up going to law school and doing all that, so I, I didn't have time. So now I'm trying to get back into it so they can see me do it. <laughs> but like I, but that's a di very different group. And you know, I'm into hard rock music, and I'm friends with that, and and. Uh, I want everyone to understand, and I think that this is something that's important when you're talking about drag queens, transgender people, gay people, whoever you're talking about, is that everyone in the world is just having a very real human experience, and they're trying their best. You know what I mean? And so if somebody is trying their best feels as though... I mean, I had a guy, a, a man by the name of Sonny Smith. He... I, this is somebody, I, I'll tell this story simply because it, I think it's, it, it resonates with what you're saying. I've known Sonny Smith since he was probably 12 years old. And uh, we went to church together. I was, a, uh, I was the president of the men's group when he left to serve his mission and when he came back. And then I found out he was transgender and he started to transition. And then uh, he ended up he ended up changing his mind and going back and being a man. And I interviewed him on my podcast. And we spent three hours. It was one of the longest podcasts wow. I ever did. And he went through the story. He went through the story about how he how he always knew. He, he, felt, he always felt like he should have been a woman. And the experiences he had. And the experiences he had within the church where people were not sympathetic. They didn't know. They just weren't sympathetic, right? And things that people said. And then people he confessed to and the different... Like, not confessed, but came out to, I guess, and the different experiences he had. And I, and all I could think of is I was like, I've had this guy in my Sunday school lessons for years. 
and I never knew. And had I known, I probably would have done it a little differently. You know what I mean? And then I said, why do I have to know? Why do I have to know to do it differently? He was having a very real human experience and I just, so everybody, everybody's just trying their best. <laughs> you know, Amber LeMay is just trying her best, you know? That's it. As long as you're not hurting anybody, you know, that's what, what, what difference does it make? Right, right. Are there, are there any, tell me, what would you view or do you have any disadvantages to being a drag queen? Like, what are the downsides? Um, none. Not here in Burlington, Vermont. You know, oh, yeah. I, I'm very happy, very lucky to have landed here and to have such a supportive, creative community um, that um, allows I often say, if you can't do it here, you shouldn't do it. <laughs> <laughs> is is Vermont? I mean, Vermont is where Bernie Sanders got elected. So I mean, it's Burlington pretty, it's was Burlington was he was mayor when I moved here. Then he became our congressman. Now he's our our senior senator. So yes, yeah. yeah. Did did you vote? I, mean, I don't know if you want to tell this, but did you vote for him? Oh, of course, of course. I have a great Bernie Sanders story. It was the night of uh, Barack Obama's first election, and we were dressed up as the League of Drag Queen Voters. That's what we went out as, where our motto is, don't blow it, vote. Yeah. And so we were dressed up in our red, white, and blue outfits. We went to the local hotel where the Democratic Party was having their shindig, and uh, we, we saw Patrick Leahy there, our, our senior senator at the time, and we'd had our picture taken with him before. Uh, Peter Welch was elected to Congress that night. We had our picture taken with him, and then Bernie was across the room, and we had never had our picture taken with Bernie. So I was keeping an eye on, on Bernie the whole night, and right. I go, I could tell he was getting ready to leave. And so I go, um, all right, girls, let's go stand by the door and ambush Bernie. <laughs> and so Bernie's you. And I go, excuse me, Senator Sanders, um, will you pose with us? He goes, I will pose for you. <laughs> <laughs> the picture is for the three of us smiling and him going like this, walking away. <laughs> <laughs> he's got some. Time. He's got some good pictures out there. That are so oh, funny. he's 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 Bernie. He's, yeah, he's Bernie. yeah. Um, uh, on that note, um, well, there's a few questions that I ask everybody in these um, uh, in these interviews, and I want to get at them. Uh, with you, what, what would you say is your biggest success in life? Surviving. What do you mean by that? I said I six. I'm 67. I survive. I lived. I, I survived both AIDS and COVID. Um, mm -hmm. And how many thousands of people died of AIDS doing a lot less than I did? Mm. Um. I, there was, I, I thought for sure I'd be dead by 40. You know, I said, no, mm. there's no way I'm going to be able to live or be or survive past 40. And, uh, and so I, to me, that's, that's a miracle itself. And that's, that's what, that's one reason why I do what I do. Uh, we have raised hundreds of thousands of dollars for various charities and organizations over the years, as well as awareness and entertainment. And, uh, and I'm, I think of so many of the talented friends I had that lost that were lost to AIDS, what they would be doing now if they had lived. And so I, someone asked, why do you keep doing it? I go, because I can, you know, yeah. They, yeah. they can't, I can. And so I, I keep at it. And uh, I, I can see me doing this for as long as I need to. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Now in that same um, vein, I feel personally, that I have learned, I've had a lot of, I've been blessed with a lot of success in life, a lot of success in life. And, uh, but I've learned the most from my failures, you know? And uh, so I ask everybody, what would you say is your biggest failure and what did you learn from it? Um, my biggest failure might be not graduating college. Mm. However, had I graduated from college, I probably wouldn't be here right it, I probably wouldn't have moved to Vermont. I wouldn't have a career in medical education that I've had for the past 25 years. I wouldn't be Amber LeMay. And so, you know, it's 
it's one of those what ifs, you know, what ifs. Um, I've, I've been a very fortunate person health-wise and support-wise from family and friends. And I, I feel guilty a lot of times. I have survivor's guilt. I have guilt that, you know, why, why, why is my life sort of easy, you know? And it's not because I'm, I'm rich by any means. Um, it's, I've got good genes and uh, um, hopefully a good heart. Yeah. No, it seems like you do. It seems like you do have a good heart and you just like making people laugh. And that's really yeah. great. You know, um, the, the education in, well, that, that was something I wanted to ask you about. I, I didn't ask you about it because we were having so much fun, but so in your, in your, in your life as Bob, you had a career in medical education. What, what was that like? What was it about? Well, well I'm still doing it. Um, oh. He's still doing it. Um, yeah. I, I work at the clinical simulation lab at the University of Vermont. And what we do is we train uh, medical learners, their basic physical exam and communication skills. And we do that through um, individual sessions and we assess them throughout their career as well. We work with medical students, nursing students, uh, nurse practitioner students, physical therapy students, um, EMTs, National Guard, uh, attendings and interns, all types of medical learners. And uh, it's, I just fell into the job and I've been there 25 years now. Wow, that's awesome. The, another thing I wanted to ask you, because it sounds like you, you're often, you're often um, living life as Bob and then you're, you live this alter ego as Amber LeMay. But there's a lot of discussion in the world about pronouns. So with a drag queen, if you're dressed as a female, do we say she? And when you dress as a man, we say he? Or is it something different? That, that's, that's pretty much it, yeah. yeah. And, you know, and people, even as Bob, they'll say, what, what, what's your preferred pronouns? They'll go, I don't care. Right. I, I don't care. I've been yeah. called good things. I've been called bad things. I don't care. Well, that, that's what it's... <laughs> That's what's so I find really funny. And I, I because there is I hear a lot about pronouns and I've had I've even been kind of questioned. I'm like, I don't know. This is seems a little strange. But most of the people I know, like the transgender people I know, if they if they look like a female, they often just want to be called she. If they look like a man, they want to be called he. Very rarely is it anything different. I mean, it seems it seems to me I'm like, this seems really a lot easier. It sounds like the people who really are bothered by it are people it doesn't affect. <laughs> well, also, mm -hmm. I use they a lot more than oh. I ever did, both mm -hmm. in talking about someone as well as in writing. I mm -hmm. I r rarely use he and she unless I know specifically that's their preferred pronouns. But I, I try to be safe at all times and just say they. You know, yeah. It's, um, yeah. I had a friend. This is I thought this was cool. I have a friend, um, uh, Sam wrestling name is calls herself dark sheep and i remember I, I knew her as when i first met her she was a man she had she hadn't transitioned yet and was a wrestler i liked him a lot and then transitioned i didn't see her for years and then when next i saw her she was a woman and i'm like oh okay and so when when i i ran up to her and i said hey listen if i accidentally call you he Please understand, it's just because I'm used to calling you he. It's not because I'm being disrespectful. And she seemed totally cool. She's like, I don't really care. And I just, I realized, it's like, you know, that it's not going to be a, that big of a deal. You know, it didn't seem like it was that big of a deal. And I, I appreciated that, you know. Of course, love, of course. I love the fact, I got to tell you, I love the fact that I can sit here and have a conversation with you. Because there's people who are going to listen to this who are afraid to ask some of the questions that I've asked you. You know, and you're an open book. And I really appreciate that. One of the questions that I, I ask everybody, um, some some like it, some don't, but I love asking it. There's going to be a day, <coughs> we hope someday, way in the future with your good genes that you can entertain us for years to come. But someday we all pass. And when you do, you're, there's going to be a funeral and someone's going to give your eulogy. What's one thing that you would hope that someone would say in your eulogy about you? Um. It's, you're, it's interesting you ask that. I mentioned earlier uh, Mike Hayes, who was my sister, Marguerite. Um, Mike suffered a stroke four years ago mm. and was unable to continue on as Marguerite. Um, he, it was not a successful um, return to his health. 
Um, he, I, he could walk, he could talk, but he had aphasia and it just made it difficult for him to, to live on his own. Sure. And so then um, uh, about a month ago, Mike had a heart attack and passed away. Oh, wow. And we were just shocked. It was on the local news. It was in the local papers. It was on the online things. Um, beloved drag queen Marguerite LeMay dies. And it, it's it, we were all just flabbergasted that the, he got that much response and appreciation for his passing uh, because he was just a great gregarious person. And I just would hope people would say that I tried to do good, you know, yeah. I that they I made them feel good at one time or another, or that uh, that I the place was a little better because I was here. That that's that's that'd be what I'd like. Well, if you're ever in Sacramento, California, and you are at a library reading a story, <laughs> I will tell you that I will have no problem bringing my kids to come and meet you and have you read them stories because this has been. This has been an honor uh, to talk to you. It's been a lot of fun. I've, I've had a great well, before time. Well, we, before we go, I, I got to cheer for you when you're wrestling, okay? Okay. <laughs> Bring them on. Bring them on. Bring them on. <laughs> got it. I'm going to get it. I'm going to try to get that going. So <laughs> t- t- tell us now, uh, we got a few minutes before. I, you have a hard out in about five yeah. minutes, but yeah. I, but I, I want to be respectful of your time. But tell us, where can people find your show? Well, if you Google Vermont Drag Queen, I'm going to show up. Amber LeMay. Also, um, Amber, um, AmberLive.tv. Uh, we have a YouTube channel that has over 1,500 videos on it. All of my interviews, both full shows and individual interviews, and a lot of our comedy bits as well. Um, I'm on Instagram, uh, Facebook, TikTok, um, all, all of those. So just Amber LeMay. L-E-M-A-Y, Amber. And like I said, Drag Queen Vermont, you're going to find me. Awesome. Awesome. Well, like I said, I hope I hope that this interview, I, I, I remember sending the email to you and I was like, I just want to see what it would be like if a Mormon and a drag queen <laughs> spent an hour together talking and, and, and let me interview you. And it's been exactly what I'd hoped for and more. So I really appreciate that. I hope that anyone who's listening to this is a little bit more understanding um, and has had a little bit of fun. Uh, once again, if you if uh, if you liked what you heard and you hung out for the hour, subscribe. Subscribe. We, uh, yeah, we uh, we got a lot of fun stuff coming up. Uh, we always do, and uh, you know, let's uh, let's keep in contact. I'd love to have you back sometime down the road. All right, thank you very much, Josh. And great seeing and talking to you. All right, we'll see you later. Bye bye.